Welcome, Fertility Sisters, to the True Fertility Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Nicole Trujillo, a wife, mom, and therapist turned fertility coach after a challenging seven-year journey to conceive. Join me for stories from those who've walked this path, tips for your fertility and IVF journey, and some fertility-related girl talk. So let's sprinkle some of that baby dust because it's time for True Fertility. Hello there, fertility sisters. In my scrolling and browsing the depths of the internet about all things fertility, I came across one brave soul. One woman who has shared her story of unthinkable losses on her quest for motherhood, and yet somehow still remains steadfast in her desire. She goes by the name True IVF Story. Although she is anonymous on the internet, she is still extremely brave to share her story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, for all of the world to see in real time. She gives voice to the real-life struggles that any woman trying to conceive faces. And I know you will feel seen and heard through her recounting of her journey. But it's not just her story that's important to hear. It's also the wisdom and lessons that she has learned along the way. And she's sharing it all today on this episode of True Fertility. Stay with me for this one. Now, before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to offer my listeners an opportunity to snag my free class, Triple your IVF success with less stress. Inside this free masterclass, you'll receive two simple tools that you can start on today that have been proven to triple your success rates when trying to conceive. These tools not only help you boost your fertility, but also help you feel better now. So if you're looking to get your baby in your arms faster, reduce the number of IVF rounds, and ultimately save money, time, and energy, this is the tool for you. Go to www.leahnicolecoaching.com, that's L-E-A-N-I-C-O-L-E, coaching.com to grab this free class while it's available. Welcome to another edition of the True Fertility Podcast. Today, I have fellow Instagrammer, True IVF Story here. And I am so excited to talk with her today. She will be sharing her personal story about her IVF journey and where that has led her today. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get into it today, I wanted to give you guys a little bit more background about True IVF Story. So she actually has had a complex six and a half year infertility journey that has resulted in the need for a surrogate. She also has a health science professional background and through her lived experience is committed to advocating for and helping improve the experiences of fellow IVF warriors throughout their journey. So again, I am so honored to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and honored to be on your show too. Well, before we get into your story, I wanted to go ahead and ask you a few just little icebreaker questions to get to know you on a little bit of a deeper level. Does that sound okay? That sounds perfect. Okay, cool. So 
tell me, what is the best place that you have traveled to? What is your favorite place? And tell me a little bit about why. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity to go to Morocco a very long time ago. And I have to say, I think it's the best place because it was just so unique. The architecture was so beautiful and unique. The food was amazing. The people were really rich in culture and history. It, it really stands out as a go-to place. If, if anybody is questioning around it, I would definitely recommend it's, you know, gorgeous beaches. It's got sand dunes. It's just, it's just got everything. Oh, that sounds amazing. I definitely want to go there. Can't wait for that. We're recording this around the holidays, so I kind of just wanted to ask you, what is your favorite holiday and why? Yeah, I think I would definitely have to say Christmas. Thanksgiving ranks up there too, but Christmas is just so full of decor and the Christmas carols and special food traditions you don't eat any other time of year. So I'd say it's definitely Christmas. Do you decorate your house and like go all out on the decorations? I do. I do. I get very cheesy with it. So we've got <laughs> decor outside, inside, in every room. Yeah. I've even talked about having more than one tree at some point. So. Oh, wow. Um, This one family I know, they actually have six Christmas trees in their house at, wow. during Christmas. So yeah. And each one has a theme. So maybe cool. you'll get to that level one day. <laughs> yeah. Okay, next question. Um, Sci-fi or rom-com, if you had to choose? Oh, my gosh. Definitely rom-com. Yeah, nothing like a cheesy, beautiful little love story. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Can you tell me which one's a favorite that comes to mind? Uh, I'd say The Notebook is up there. Yeah, Notebook is, good one. is pretty good. I could, I could watch that one. It's been a while for me, maybe... Mm, seven years or something since I've watched it. So yeah, definitely needs a rewatching sometime soon. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks so much for answering my questions there. So let's get into it today. Can you go ahead and share your story and how you got to create your Instagram account and why you did that? Yeah, so that's, that's a great place to start. So um, I've been on a six and a half year infertility journey. I am not one who has been particularly into socials. And I actually was setting up a page for someone else when I started to kind of scroll around and into the Instagram world and saw all kinds of things and happened to put in infertility. And I couldn't believe the amount of candid and authentic info that was coming from people that were going through their own journeys or fertility coaches like yourself. And it, it was just like mind boggling. To me, it gave me the opportunity to normalize and understand a lot of the thoughts and questions and feelings that I had. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to set up a page to help me understand my own journey and also share components of what I was thinking and feeling and really difficult challenges in the journey itself. For example, going through and using Lupron Depot. Had other people used Lupron Depot and what were they feeling and was it successful? So those kinds of things. And then I kind of mushroomed into, well, you know, 
I want to give back to this community. So I started posting things that I thought would be really inspirational as well. Mm-hmm. So how do we think about ourselves? How do we metabolize mentally this experience? Um, what are the kinds of things that we need to practice for ourselves? Like that pat on the back, remembering that you're so courageous, you know? So then it it, it started, it started with posts like that too, but. And I love, I love your page because again, as you said, it is a mix of inspirational and helpful information for other women trying to conceive, but also it's again, a real life almost documentation of like your (laughs) process and where you're at and your story is still ongoing. So it's a real IVF story, hence your name. So can you take us back to the beginning and share for our listeners, like how this all started. Yeah. So we got married and literally started like within a couple weeks after getting married on our own to try. I was 38 at the time. Mm-hmm. So at that age, you know, your doctor says, well, if you haven't succeeded in six months, try for a referral to a specialist. So we did that and we started cycle monitoring. And lo and behold, to my surprise, I get a call from the clinic saying, you're pregnant. And that was about nearly a year after starting. And I thought, okay, well, this is pretty incredible. Like, this is going to be a lot easier than I thought. So thank God for that. And then about two weeks later, uh, the beta went down and it was a chemical pregnancy. So then we started with our first IVF cycle and we have done nine IUIs and eight IVFs. Wow. So after your chemical pregnancy, how did that affect you? Yeah, you know, I have to tell you, it was really... um It was really stunning. I was at work in the midst of back-to-back meetings when I got the call that I was pregnant and then went back into these meetings and you're elated. And then two weeks later, you also get a call in the middle of the day between meetings telling you, I'm sorry, but it's a chemical pregnancy. It hasn't taken. And I have to go back into that meeting and I certainly don't have time to process or feel down and out. I didn't want to tell my husband over the phone, so I had that with me all day. So a lot of compartmentalizing, and you're just deflated on so many levels. You don't really know what to make sense of it. You know, where my initial thought was, hey, this is maybe going to be a lot easier than we were hoping. Now it was, great, what are we embarking on now? What does that mean? you know, it was a blow for both of us and then starting to think, okay, so now what? So what do we do? Uh, and so how long did you wait between that and then moving forward with, um, it was IUI next? No. So we actually did a first IVF cycle. Okay. Um, yeah, no, not long. I mean, it was literally like we made a decision within that evening and called okay. the doctor and said, we want to move forward with trying IVF, didn't want to waste any time. So literally just waited till my next day one, about three weeks after that now, 
Mm-hmm. And off we went. And how did your first IVF cycle go? Yeah, so I was pulling about 13 eggs from what looked like 18 follicles. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get uh, 10 embryos and then eight embryos and then five embryos and then I think four that had gone for testing. And what I ended up getting was one euploid embryo at the end of it all. Yeah. So you're saying in your first round, although initially it looked like 18 potential candidates for eggs at the end of all of that process, there was only one normal embryo to potentially work with, right? Correct. Yeah. And so that, that is also a heavy load for people that haven't been through it, which is, you know, you're getting excited watching your follicles grow and you don't really realize that even fertilized embryos don't necessarily make it into uh, euploid, so normal. Um, and then, you know, you've got different categories like low-level mosaic and high-level mosaic, but that one there, we didn't have any other than the one normal embryo. Mm-hmm. So that was really disappointing, to yeah. say the least. Yeah. And did you try to transfer that one? We didn't. So because we knew that we wanted to have more than one child, mm-hmm. we always knew we wanted to bank embryos. And now it was like a race against the clock. Got it. So it's like, okay, I you know, was 39 years old and we better bank these embryos, see how many we can get, and then just do back-to-back transfers. Got so that it. was the strategy. And so then we regrouped and what we tried then was a few IUIs, which didn't result in anything. Then we did a second IVF cycle and we really did high doses of the meds. Mm -hmm. And we went through all of those weeks of prep and cycling and retrieval and only to come out with zero embryos. Wow. So the second time you upped the medication and you had zero that were normal embryos that you could potentially transfer. We actually didn't even make it to having any embryos at the end of day six to go off for testing. Oh, wow. Uh So I have to say that with a lot of women, and particularly women over the age of 35, really high doses of meds tends to turn out into unsuccessful cycles. That's not the case for everyone, but it is the case for many. Mm -hmm. Even as they look into doing treatments for women in their early 40s, mid 40s, they're doing low medicated cycles, which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that really is. I mean, again, like when I did mine, they put me really high levels of medication because my, you know, AMH levels were so low that they, right. the reasoning is, and we need more medicine to stimulate your body more, which again, I am also learning and hearing, like you just said, some other doctors have a different way of looking at it. And maybe we don't respond as well with such high doses of medicine. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then my doctor was mortified. <laughs> So it's really nice to have a doctor that cares as much, you know, as you do. And uh, 
So then he was like, no, we're going to go back to the first protocol. At least we know what we're getting with that. Mm -hmm. So in that in-between period, we took a one-month break. And lo and behold, I got pregnant naturally. Wow. Yeah. And so you don't know what sense to make out of that. And unfortunately, that turned out to also be a chemical pregnancy. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. And so then we did a few more IUIs. Again, those weren't successful. And then we started doing back-to-back IVFs, and they were the same protocol. So we were now getting one normal embryo, and then we were getting one low-level mosaic. So that started happening for the next three, four cycles. Okay. Yeah. So then we got to a good spot and it was like, okay, let's start transferring. Mm -hmm. So I had done an ERA. It's an endometrial receptivity assay. The reason for doing the ERA is to see, are there anomalies in that? Some women are pre-receptive or post-receptive, meaning they might need one lesser day for their optimal window of implantation or an extra day or two to make the environment ideal. And so I showed up that uh, day seven would be the optimal implantation window. Wow. Okay. And just to clarify a little bit more, so most women like day six post the timing in which you start taking progesterone, which is to to get your lining ready to be receptive for the embryo. This is a good time. But there are some women who have a slight difference on the ideal timing. And so you found out that you need a little more time with the progesterone in order to have the ideal window. Exactly. So so we went and we did our first transfer and actually we had a 6 8 embryo, which is the perfect scoring of an embryo. And um, and it didn't take. And that was absolutely devastating because, of course, it's your first transfer. You've got the highest of hopes. You've already been in it for, I mean, at this point, a few years, about two and a half to three years. And and you, you had already done all of the prep work to try to to maximize the chances as far as doing the ERA testing and then you doing also that Correct, PGT yeah. testing. Yeah, I can under I can I can feel you on that as far as that being really really hard. So I'm I'm so sorry that one didn't take. Yeah, thank you. And then hearing all the excitement from the doctor too. Hey, it's a six AA. Like it was just like why? You know, I look back. And I'm a very resilient person and positive person. And so when I look back at those even first two and a half years, like I was hopping up on those ER tables and cracking jokes with the nurses and bringing gifts for everybody there, you know, like very happy and excited. And of course, that changed the more time went on and the more bad news that we got. And I just want to normalize that for everybody out there. And then you really do get a sense of, okay, there really, it's not just a buzzword. There really is a thing about toxic positivity. You know, like that, that is not useful when you're really in the trenches of it um, and feeling some hard feelings. 
So then we sadly had a change in doctors. Our doctor had moved and we did two additional embryo transfers. Um, the second one, the embryo upon defrosting, 20% of the cells had collapsed. No. So that is something else that, you know, you're never really talked to about the possibility of. And so I literally remember getting prepped up and hearing that just before the transfer. And it was devastating right there. There is a very slight chance that an embryo can recover from that in the right environment, but not significant. And I just thought, oh, if I'm already so much more anxious than usual and nervous through the two-week wait, then maybe my mood being kind of down about that is also going to affect implantation. Anyway, lo and behold, that embryo did not take. Okay. Yeah, so that's the last that you heard? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so did you hear that, uh, that I was devastated in the room or should I go through that again? Um, I think I heard that part. I think I have that. Good. And I was worried about my mood affecting it. I didn't have that part yet. Okay. 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 So I was absolutely devastated to hear that just as we're, you know, going to get started on transferring it. And, um, and then I went home with this awful news and I almost wish that I hadn't heard because on top of being normally anxious during the two-week wait. Now it was, oh my gosh, you know, I'm also really down about it. I'm even more nervous about it. It's my mood going to affect implantation even more. And what do I do to distract myself? What, what are the kind of funny movies I can watch? But it was, it felt like a funk already. Um, and anyway, so it turned out that that embryo wasn't successful. There is a slight chance that these embryos can improve in the right environment, but not significant. And so that's, that's what happened with that. Uh, that must be so hard to have to go through two embryos that had such a good chance. And then for both of those transfers to not result in a pregnancy again, that just is, is heartbreaking. Yeah, it was, it was devastating. And by this point, you know, by the time you've been through it a first time and then a second time, like your hopes are even higher and there really is something to compounded grief. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the first loss wasn't like the second, the second wasn't like the third, the third wasn't like the seventh, which we'll get to. Um, but yeah, it does get harder and more meaningful because now you're also expending embryos and now you've also been through the, uh, the ups and downs of the high hopes and the excitement versus the fears and anxieties. And then, you know, a, de a, a loss, the devastation. Mm -hmm. So then our third transfer, I had said to my husband, okay. You need to tell this doctor that when we get in there, I don't want him to tell me the status of this embryo. If it has been damaged through the thawing process, 
I don't want to know if it's good. I don't want to know. I'm better off not knowing. Mm -hmm. Um, So he did tell him that. (laughs) And then the doctor was actually really happy. So somewhere in there, he says to me, I want you to know it's a really good embryo. Like it's, it is really good. And so I kind of like, oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. And then you get home and you're already thinking obsessively so. What is the right thing to eat? What is the right amount to sleep? Am I drinking enough water? Am I getting enough protein? Oh, you need to really up your protein. Okay, you know, uh, am I resting enough? Am I sitting enough? Am I walking enough? Am I not exerting myself enough? Am I taking the right amount of supplement? Like, you know, all of that. So as you get to the third transfer, well, now you're really obsessed about it. Yeah. I can imagine. Like grasping at those little things that are within your control, right? Okay, the two-week wait, and bam, it doesn't take. And that was a major blow, a major blow. And then I look at our pool of embryos, and I've got one embryo left, one euploid embryo left. I've got about three low-level mosaic, but I'm told that potentially only one could be transferred. Remember that we wanted minimum two children, two to three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this, it, it basically like crushed your dreams just right there. Exactly. Now, it is very real that we could end up with no children here. What's even harder about that transfer is that about two days later, I wake up startled at 4 a.m. and say, oh, my God, those last two embryos were implanted on day six. The first one was implanted on day seven in accordance with my ERA. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Wow. And and how did you feel at that moment? I mean, I was, so, I mean, in shock, angry. What what was that like? Oh, yeah. I mean, shock and anger and disappointment. Like, you know, you give so much trust into your doctor. And I really felt, I mean, I don't know if the word cheated. I don't know if the word is betrayed, like those kind of feelings, we fell through the cracks. And then I was really, really upset with myself because as you mentioned in the intro, I've got a background in health. Mm -hmm. And what you don't know, what we haven't talked about just yet is how we're like extraordinarily plugged in to reading the research, looking into the journal articles, I was going down, you know, A to Z, taking things that I had found, feeding them back to my doctor, problem solving with him in the trenches, looking at things that were coming through from the nurses, having caught a number of mistakes from the nurses in terms of medications, uh, mismanaged doses, wrong instruction. Like I had caught all those kinds of things. Um. And so when this slipped by the doctor, but by me, 
I was, I was even more devastated. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and, and it's, it's not fair, really. I mean, I don't know what the other, other word to say than fair that we as patients often feel like there's just extra burden placed on us to double check everything and make sure everything is right. Like that's a lot mm-hmm. of weight to put on a non-medical, prof- I mean, you have to have a professional background, but in general, we're not expected as patients to have this medical background. You're the patient. You should not have to feel like you're constantly checking everything. But again, unfortunately, with so much writing on it, we often do feel like that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And listen, I've got, you know, uh, a background in health science, but I'm not a physician myself. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there's still major, major gaps in my understanding. But I did sit there so many times and would say to my husband, my God, we are already so shrouded in, first of all, the roller coaster of what our hormones are doing to our minds and emotions and bodies. Then you've got the emotional component of the journey itself, the physical things that you're feeling everything else that you're managing with it along the way, you know, like your relationships and your work and your body and your really, and you know, the holidays or all of that. And like you said, the painstaking amount of effort of looking into like quality or pressing on problem solving is absolutely not something that should be burdened on the patient. I'll tell you that there was one of my cycles in my where I had been given instructions to take the trigger shot along with taking the shot that suppresses the release of your eggs. I was given the instruction to take them both simultaneously. What? And that could very well have botched the retrieval entirely. And and I turned to my husband and I thought, other women that are just mired in all of what I just said, all of that other gunk, and that don't have some kind of a health literacy and are missing these things, these poor women, I don't know what else is going wrong in their cycles that could be prevented, you know? Yeah, definitely. So going back to that scenario, I was very upset with myself. And I thought all I was ever trying to do was to just make sure that we didn't slip through the cracks. And I failed. And my doctor failed. I didn't have a rapport with this doctor the way I did with my original one. I probably only had two phone calls with him over the course of three and a half, four weeks. He was working out of his cottage so it was out of town and it was far from the clinic and I thought you know I don't think he read my file Mm -hmm. I don't think he read my file Mm -hmm. so I ended up connecting with somebody at that clinic um, who looked into my file she was irate about it and she said I agree with you I don't think he's read your file It did end up going into more conversations with him and then 
his thought was, well, you know, these things are not really foolproof and the ERA can be uh, contradictory as well. And uh, it's not a panacea and there's many factors. It doesn't really necessarily mean that that's why it didn't take all of this. Mm -hmm. So anyway, now we're in an absolute panic that we more than likely are certainly not going to have more than one child. And there's a tremendous chance we may not have any with the number of embryos that are left, given my history of implantation failure. So then we had to regroup and really think things through and was feeling very bleak. And what we did was switch clinics. And then we ended up doing three more cycles. And I ended up getting uh, one more normal embryo and one untested embryo. Mm -hmm. Now I'd understood and had been given the official title of somebody with repeated implantation failure. So my question to that was, well, but, you know, the first transfer, I didn't quite have the trilaminar part uh, pattern. And the third transfer, 20% of the cells had uh, collapsed. And both the second and third, the uh, implantation day was day six instead of day seven. So is that a proper diagnosis? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the answer was, we don't know. And so... Then we kind of paused there and thought, okay, maybe we should look into whether or not I have endometriosis. It was suspected, but I'd never actually been tested. I had requested a few times, but I was told, you know, it's not necessarily a hindrance to implantation, so it's quite okay. But now I really pressed because it was like, we can't afford not to. And then just as we were doing that, we took a break and got pregnant again. And mm -hmm. so I'm saying to myself, well, does that not show proof of implantation? Anyway, so I reach out to my original doctor. And so we did a first beta. Uh, it wasn't crazy high, but it was it was good. We did a second beta. It had, I think, just doubled. And then I wake up somewhere between my second and what about the day before my third beta, and I'm spotting a little bit. Oh, no, that's the last thing you want to see. Right. And so, of course, you're Googling like crazy. Well, is spotting normal? You know, like, and at this point, I'm seven weeks, but I'd never made it to seven weeks. They were chemical pregnancies. So, like, within two, three weeks, the other two had gone. So, so, like, okay, you know, this could be, this could be normal. As the rest of the day progressed, it got worse. In the evening, I started to get little pangs. And then uh, things were really awful in the hospital space here in Canada at that point, like crazy backlogged uh, emergency rooms and really awful stories of what was happening there. So the last thing I wanted to do was go to a hospital, but the pain came on so strong. It was kind of touch and go, like, should I, do I need to go? 
anyway, lo and behold, I had a complete miscarriage at home. When I say complete, like I saw it, you know, and um, I said, I saw it. I saw eyeballs. I saw a little tail. I saw the oh. formation of a little head, you know, like it was devastating. God. And so that was absolutely devastating again because of compounded grief because of you know the so many years in and now getting to week seven so we were reeling with that and I emailed my doctor the next day and he said let's set up you know to see if we need to do a dnc or whatever and he really insisted on that so his admin happened to be away I didn't get in to go and do that until about five or six days later. Mm-hmm. And so when I got in and the ultrasound technician is doing a standard ultrasound, well, now it's going into 10 minutes and 20 minutes and 40 minutes. And now I'm starting to get really concerned. So she says, well, I'd like you to stay and speak to the doctor. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? So uh, the doctor says, there's a second pregnancy. You have a live ectopic, and we need to get you to the hospital now. Um, So what I had was a heterotopic pregnancy which is when one embryo implants in the uterus and one outside of the uterus. And that occurring through IVF is something like one in 7,000. Occurring naturally the way that it did is like one in 30,000. Oh, my God. Wow. So my head is... It's just like double the grief, basically. Exactly, exactly. I was just going to say, it's like my head was just reeling from the first loss. And now it's like, you mean there's a second baby? A, it's alive. Two, you know, B, it could have had a chance. But C, it's in an improper place. Oh, D, this is life-threatening. And there's no way, because they don't... Uh, like there's no way for them to take them and put them within the uterine walls. They they can't do that. Mm-hmm. So off to the hospital, you have to make a lot of decisions within a number of hours of, do you want to do it chemically? Chemically, it takes, you know, three to four months and then it could still rupture. And if it ruptures, it's still life-threatening. And then it could take a number of months after that. And you know, you've got the side effects from the meds and or we can go in and remove it and uh, you're safe from it rupturing. And so after a lot of deliberation, that was a choice that I made. And it's uh, I didn't think it was major surgery, but it turns out it is major surgery. And uh It was about eight to 10 weeks recovery after that. And I have to say that in the hospital, I didn't really get myself to, and I'm very um, emotionally aware and don't struggle with that, you know, in terms of going through my feelings and processing, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
But I really knew in those moments, I can't go there. I have to compartmentalize and stay present just on logistics. Because if I do go there, I will be inconsolable. Yeah. So I had to shut a part of myself down. Uh, But I'll tell you that I went through the surgery. And next thing I know is I wake up in the recovery room with an extremely warm <laughs> and nurturing voice of an incredible nurse um, and my husband on the other side. And my eyes are still closed and they're repositioning me and I'm shaking from being cold, and, but my eyes are still shut. And I don't have the energy yet to speak. They position me and I instantly start thinking, it's gone. It's gone. It was alive. The beta had actually increased because they had done another test before I went in. If that baby had planted, had implanted in the right spot, would it have had a chance And with my eyes shut, my tears are streaming down my face. And lo and behold, one of the kindest things I can say I've ever experienced is there's my husband with these little dabs of a tissue. Just as the tears are starting to formulate, he's capturing them. Um, Anyway, so I mean, it was eight to 10 weeks of physical recovery. Like the first two weeks, you could hardly walk. Um, and then of course it starts to settle in as to, wow, what a wild ride that just was. And it brings into question your faith. And I mean, if there's ever a moment of being flattened in terms of personal efficacy or agency, or the thought that you can do something to impact outcomes, yeah. That's a real hard lesson that, you know what, there are certain moments in life where we have absolute zero control. And um, why? Why does stuff like this happen? You know? Um, Yeah, it makes you question everything. And, And again, I'm glad that you mentioned that, that again, a lot of this, we can do so much to help ourselves and prepare, but so much really is out of our control. And I think that's one of the hardest things about dealing with infertility is that control aspect that's missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and I've often said there's so much in my life, like until this point, that I took as hardened fact, like I felt like I knew. That no matter what challenge you had in life, if you threw enough effort at it, and I mean tenacious, long, hard-standing effort, endurance, and problem-solving, and then getting the right resources for something, that you could you could turn it around. You could make something happen. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that. And this has made me unknow that, you know, like... Like you said, there are there are real hard moments in this 
human experience that we have that are beyond our control. And that is a very hard thing to, uh, to reckon with. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, the grieving and the resulting PTSD that came from that, not just from like medical PTSD, because at this point, your body truly is like, it doesn't belong to me. I mean, it has been invaded in every nook and cranny for, at that point, five years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nothing is private, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And the emergency scenario and, um, wow, that was life-threatening too. It could have all been over in a flash. And thank God for my doctor who kept insisting that I go in and, you know, he saved my life. And I mean, I had zero symptoms of that ectopic. Like it would have just burst at home. Yeah. Um, so that took a number of months and that was a real real tool and it became really important for me to find someone a counselor that was well versed in fertility because they understand the multifaceted impacts on literally every single sphere in your life and how compounded that is longer that you're in this that happens with infertility at this point, your body image, your finances, relationships with friends, relationships with family, faith questions, your professional identity. I, I'd had to pull away from work. Um, and it's all of, well, this is not what I thought life was going to be so many years in. This is not what I anticipated my family building uh process to go much less reality like we could still after all of this end up with no children like how cruel and you mean I might need to rebuild now all of those aspects of my life but wait I'm not doing it with a child in my arms I'm not losing the weight that I gained because it's Uh, postpartum weight. I'm not emerging back into the workforce because I've come back from a mat leave. Mm -hmm. My home still does not have a nursery. Um, I have to emerge and have conversations with certain people in my life who knew I was going through this. How many times do we have to talk about it didn't work? And or now, now what, you know, mm-hmm. um, lucky for my husband and I, while like, listen, there are, I have heard of marriages not surviving this. We definitely had roller coasters along the way, you know, I mean, you get snippy and snappy and hormonal and, and the grieving and we had moments where we'd come together and then kind of pull apart a little bit. Certainly some of that, certainly disagreements and arguments around, well, no, I want to do another cycle. I need to do another cycle. Um, 
And then conversations like, I'm not going to watch you go through another cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, those kind of conversations. And But somehow, like very, very early on in our marriage, we had kind of made a motto. Like let's, like through stress and stuff, like it can either like pull us apart or it can pull us together. So let's just make a model that if we're going to do this and this being anything, we're going to make it pull us closer together. So that became like a little motto that we had. I love that. And it's so true. Yeah. You know, like there's so many things and and it doesn't have to be infertility. Like I said, like it's anything that people are struggling with that can isolate you from each other or you can get, you can turn that stress onto each other and into bickering or whatever. And so we kind of always had that in the back of our minds, but then with all of this happening too, and then I'd opened up to my husband that I was like, you know, actually this has taken a larger toll on me than maybe I've let on. And he's like, you know, like, like I said, like you're busy problem solving and you're, you're reading these journals and you're contacting doctors. He's like, you got to let me know what, you know, what's going on in your head too, because I see somebody who's like, so managing it all. And then he was like, I'm so sorry. Like I kind of missed like my bad. I didn't clue in enough as I should have on the emotional toll of it all. And, uh, Actually, we'd had that conversation before that last incident with the heterotopic. So we were kind of, we were already like major attuned. Mm-hmm. And then that happens. And I have to say, like, so grateful and so happy. And thank God. And that's the, the tidbit, the nugget that I would give to people is turn to each other. You know, open up. You're not a burden with each other. Make that commitment. And I mean, now we're so finely attuned to each other's internal worlds that it's like, oh, somebody grimaces and it's like, what, what, what's going on? Or somebody mm-hmm. like sighs, like, oh, okay, what, why are you sighing? What's that all about? You know, like yeah. we've turned into that now. That's but, a lovely piece of advice to, again, tune into each other to make it through this chapter in life. So then, so after this happened, from what I'm understanding you still had another embryo that was still rated highly, correct? So I still hadn't touched those embryos because those occurred naturally, right? So I Mm -hmm. still have my two normal, one untested and one low-level mosaic. And at this point, our really wonderful doctor is saying, look, that's really precious genetic material. I think Uh, You guys have worked so hard. I think you need to consider surrogacy. Wow. And um, surrogacy in Canada is not like it is in the U.S. There's like a two to five year wait list. It's a very different model than what you have. They're not compensated. They're reimbursed for journey related expenses. So it's very hard to find somebody. We also have a much smaller population. And yeah. And, you know, the idea about surrogacy is like, wow, like, that's another point of grief because, so wait, what you're saying is I need to move out of the way for our children to have a chance to make it into the world. Like, that's devastating. Yeah, totally. Um, 
you know, we, we often have it again in our head, in our idea of how we're going to have a family and we envision ourselves, you know, fully pregnant. Um, we envision what it's like to give birth and Mm -hmm. to have those moments and to, to even nurse your child and for that to be like told to you that that's not really going to be a good option for you to even try to pursue at this point. Yeah, that that's a, a major setback emotionally. Yeah, at the whole journey of it all. You know, there really is nothing that can prepare you for it. Unless you talk to other people in the community, you're not being prepared on how low the lows can be, on how to brace yourself um, and all of the areas of your life that can be impacted by it. Mm-hmm. When the waiting, the amount of waiting that goes through this journey is uh, is near torturous. <laughs> you know, like you're waiting uh, those weeks to do to prep and do your egg retrieval. And then you're waiting every single day as you're getting those calls from the clinic. And then you're waiting another two and a half weeks for the results from the PGT tests. And then you're waiting the weeks that you're prepping for your embryo transfer. And then you're waiting another two weeks for the blood test. And then you're waiting with each cons- you know, consecutive beta. It's Yeah, it's, the waiting's a, a killer. It's painstaking. And then at this point, you're waiting to find that surrogate. And I am so hopeful that you will find this person. Um, And, you know, the fact, again, that you've been so open with your journey and share so much of your journey on a social platform, I really hope that there's a way through this big world of ours that you will find that person who is meant to carry your baby Uh, So you can have that family that you have worked so hard for. Right. And you hold on to every hope and you still have that vision and, and, you know, you still have that dream and it's, it's beyond like a visceral need. It's, it's like, it is so biologically ingrained in those of us that stay the course of it. And it is for, it is for many people, but it's just a drive to need to see your child because what you do start to process and think about is, wait a minute, not having children isn't just, okay, we've closed this chapter. Hey, we tried, you know, it's done. No, that means no uh, Christmas morning to do anything fun with a child. It means no birthday parties. It means no first day of school. It means no graduations or Christmas concerts to show up and sit there in glee and watch our child. It means no wedding day pride and happiness and joy. It means no grandchildren. Like it's it's a pervasive loss. Yeah. And I I also don't think that People who don't go through this journey necessarily understand that because well-meaning people don't get it. It's kind of like, hey, if you can't have kids, like, it's no big deal. I mean, life will still be great, you know? And it's like, um, easy for you to say with 
three children, six children, you know, like so true. Yeah. You have no idea the major losses that accompany somebody without children throughout the life cycle, if that's something that they wanted, right? For people that have chosen, hey, children are not for me. Like that's, that's fantastic for them. It works for them. That's their life vision. And so it's not a perceived loss, right? Yeah. But yeah, so, so here we are. And wow. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing your full journey. I mean, what a roller coaster that you have been through. And I just, I feel for you on all of these things that have gone, you've gone through and really admire your perseverance and your continued strength to keep trying for a family that you and your husband have been envisioning for so long. So if there's any piece of advice that you have for our listeners, what would that be? Yeah, I think it would be always, always advocate for yourself in those doctor-patient dyads. Like, don't shy away from speaking up and asking questions. Um, Definitely nurture yourself all throughout, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically. Uh, Be really kind to yourself and feed yourself. You really need that. And find people in the community that can help you like I did, which was to help me understand and name and metabolize aspects and nuances of this experience, which are very unique. Um, And there's so much power in that. And the community is really phenomenal, very kind and compassionate and generous people in the community. So it's a really lovely niche to find. I couldn't agree more. I do believe that the community is amazing. There's so many amazing women and men that unfortunately this Mm -hmm. does affect, but God, that support is like none other. And yet I wouldn't want to be here, but I also wouldn't want to be surrounded with any other such kind-hearted people than in this community. If I Agreed. were to go through this, or since yeah. I have gone through this. But yeah. yeah. Well, is there a way for our listeners to continue to follow your journey and get more of these important pieces of advice or inspiration? Where where can they find you? Yeah. So my handle is at true, like the word true, dot IVF dot story. And uh, you can stay tuned for updates and content that I try and post that is helpful, whether it's, you know, inspirational or little reminders to be uh, compassionate with yourself, but also any like cutting edge kind of research on embryos or implantation or anything along what's newly being discovered, because there is so much work coming out every day. Yeah, definitely. Medical world is always churning out something new and, and more helpful. So I think that's great to be on the cutting edge of that. And you also mentioned to me that you're working on an ebook. Can you share us with us a little bit more about that? I am. So I'm actually really excited about it. I'm um, 
I'm working on an ebook that's going to have, it can either be purchased in a complete package or in chapters that are going to resonate for different areas of the journey that people will be in. And so there'll be a section on really cutting edge evidence-based stuff. And, and the perspective I'm trying to put in there is A, from a, like a patient's lived experience, but also real hard evidence-based data that we've got to support what are the right supplements to support egg growth and maturation and sperm health and what is the evidence-based nutritional stuff, um, again, that supports all of that and uh, implantation as well and what is the mind-body research showing that helps improve uterine lining and all facets of the IVF experience. And that's my As well as how do you manage? <laughs> yeah, that's where you come in. Um, and then stuff around like just how do you manage, you know, discussions and or your own understanding of all of these areas of your life that are impacted and, and relationships and what do you choose to share and when and boundaries around this. So that that's the stuff that is going to be contained in there and I'm hoping to release it in the uh, in the late spring, early summer. I love that of 2024. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That sounds amazing. And I guess I just want you to know, too, that m me, along with I'm sure all of our listeners are really, really pulling for you. And I can't wait to see you with a, a baby in the future. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing your story with our listeners today. Yes, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share these stories, information, and tips with you, or really just allowing me to connect with you on a subject that's so dear and important to your life. I really hope that somewhere out there I was able to reach one of you and to let you know that, again, you're not alone on this journey. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and do me a solid and share this with your friends or anyone that you think might benefit from hearing this. Also, I'd love it if you could leave a rating or review from wherever you're listening. If you have any questions or you want to share anything about what you heard today with us, please leave a comment on YouTube or Spotify. And for a deeper dive on today's episode, bonus content, and to connect with others in this space, I invite you to join True Fertility Tribe Facebook group. And last but not least, let's be friends on Instagram where I post almost daily. You can find me at True Fertility. Wishing you all baby dust. Till next time. Bye.